good morning. Donnerell will continue. We have to agree with him. Either it's next week or a week after. So last week I was away and we said this. The kind of uh, these regression methods that he's talking, so these are, well, I, I hope that you realize that these, these are important for, for trying to mod model or understand what's in the underlying data uh, fitting some functions there. But we, we continue now in the, in the clustering analysis. Um, we, last time when I was talking about this, we did a lot of introduction to that. So basically the, the goal is to identify groups in the data that are somehow similar to each other and different from the others. Um, and obviously you can, uh, you, have to, you have to understand that uh, if somebody asks, try to find me the segmentation of the customers, which types of customers I have, then type of customer is a cluster in some sense. One cluster, one type of customer. Uh, I, I, for your fun, I added uh, some pictures from uh, from big data research. Basically, it says that uh, the demand in big data workforce is increasing uh, tremendously. So there are lots of job opportunities, and also the the, the pay for these skills is actually higher than the average uh, IT uh, workforce. And the other thing, what I, I, what I wanted to stress clearly is that uh, data analytics is not only about mathematics, statistics, formula, uh, algorithms. It's really about solving problems, storytelling. You get data, you analyze, you have to tell the story. What did you find? All your pictures have to tell the story themselves. So it's really about these, also these soft skills, how to present things, how to, how to interpret what has been done in the data analysis, how to interpret the world, right? You get the data from the world, customers. If you say that this is one customer type, you have to be able to put that in ver verbal uh, form to describe, to tell the stories about these customers. These 20,000 customers in this group, they give you 42 million uh, trade annually. Treat them well. Uh, curiosity, communication, creativity, collaboration, collaboration and teams, all these soft skills. And there is no way anybody can tell you do exactly this or do exactly that. It's something that you have to practice yourselves, right? So, I, I'm, really, I'm really sorry that I can't be with you in all these practical sessions. Um, so this uh, data set you recognize by now, right? So, so, I just grabbed the data. I have really not looked at that so much. I, I looked at that a little bit in the, in the beginning, but not much. So you can see how the 
Uh, I don't know if the author of this uh, submitted work is in here or not. Uh, that's not important. It's one of you, anyway. But but the, the power of it, of color. So so when the first works came in, there was no color based on the age. And in here suddenly you can really see the older age group, younger age group, uh, clearly two distinct body patterns. And and your task would somehow to be to interpret how the young kids and slightly older kids are different in their body plan or body types to So these are these are tall and heavy. Because it's a multiplication of height and weight, these are tall and heavy here. Uh, and the ratio uh, height or weight gets lower and lower. That, that means that you, you don't get much taller. You, your height will be soft, but you can get much heavier. Right? Somehow you have to tell the stories. And uh, I, don't, I did not even want to take this. Uh, but I was surprised by the same guy, this visualization. I, I don't know if you have, anybody has tried to divide by age. Uh, what I was, uh, what, what was striking in here is somehow we visually cluster it clearly into three groups, like three distributions. Uh, and my question would be immediately, what the heck is going on in here? Who are these? How, how can this younger age group be in the two distinct clusters. So that would be now somebody needs to would need to either understand is, is this correct in the first place? And uh, secondly, what might be the story behind them? Uh, it it may be in if you look at what we have done to the axis, uh, Taking the attributes but, but combining them in some ways, right? Uh, trying to understand what's the relationship. Uh, you don't, you may, you may not, not know at all in advance what you're going to get. What might be useful in here is to, to of course, to identify some. What is this person? What is this person? What is this person? That person? What are the particular values? Uh, to put some fixed, uh, highlight some individual uh, dots. This means this type of individual, this means this type of individual, and you can somehow think everybody is in between, right? Uh, and when you change all the parameters together, like uh, in this case there is only three, uh, height, weight, and age, Everybody has different uh, height, weight, and age in a way, right? But uh, in order to understand better, you may you may want to say, okay, I will say exactly this age and this height, and I will artificially put in, say, three, five, ten individuals of different weight, and starting from. Uh, 20, 50, 80, 150, whatever, right? You, you fix some parameters, you put it artificially in new data. 
these might be highlighted in here, and you could immediately see, okay, this is this, this, this point. Uh, it's, it would be easier to tell the story, right? Uh, and I'm making sure that uh, you change one parameter at a time. That makes it so much easier to understand what's going on. And uh, I, I guess this is uh, this is uh, just comes down to this uh, this part that I was saying that that storytelling. If, if if you present something, you have to be able to interpret that. And that has been from TAs actually. That has been one of the big complaints that that uh, of course you do tedious to the homework. You copy paste it the code. That's it, right? And the TA should have to okay. So what? What is interpretation? Even if there is some graph, try to put some sentences. Uh, what do you identify uh, from the data? It's a little bit of interpretation. And, uh, and definitely there is no this exactly this way or exactly that way. I never asked uh, this, but if, if somebody does and figures out that there is suddenly interesting pattern, it would be really cool to try to understand that. And of course, all the others, you can try to replicate these things. Okay, uh, okay so that was uh, the general rant about, uh, about the storytelling and, and the importance of what we are doing. Uh, but we are really talking about clustering. And in here you can see that, uh, okay, this is clearly like one cluster. Uh, in a way, in here, it seems that there are three distributions, three, three clusters. Uh, but our methods for clustering uh, are, when we start clustering, we are not so advanced to even know what type of model to fit in the data. So we start from some uh, basic ideas. Um, in these ones we went through. So uh, we will uh, look today carefully at uh, hierarchical clustering and uh, partitioning around K uh, cluster centers, so partitioning around, around uh, individuals. Um, and then also I think uh, self-organizing maps Uh, the data, um, this is just uh, 10 data objects with two attributes. Um, with two attributes it's easy because we can, you can plot them in x, y, plot, right? You can, you can do a dot plot. Normally you have many attributes. And then your individuals uh, have the problem that uh, Visually, you can see two, at most three, dimensional spaces. Four. Please convert the models uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, you can you can start adding some some of the uh, some like of the color and then size. These ones, yes, yes. But but the, the normal dot plot, yeah, the color was very powerful actually in the previous week. We saw that. So how did you like Tamara's presentation? First half, the first half was great. Sorry. First half was great. The first half. 
so this is what we have. We have multidimensional data, and of course, this is a really small toy example, right? You have to you have to be able to think uh, how to deal with the high dimensional data. Tens, hundreds of attributes. Maybe there are a thousand attributes that describes every individual. If you think of the medical records of all the people, how many different attributes there would be that would describe one person? Many. Uh, so these uh, 10 and 5, of course, one way to represent these, they are somehow uh, comparable numbers. You can do these line routes that one individual A is now in here. I, 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 yeah, I can't match the, or even. This is bad illustration because I can't uh, find this coloring here. Is, is it this one? Maybe, maybe it's this one. So this one individual in here. Two, four, five, four, two. Uh, oh, two, four, five, four, two. This is a this pattern in here. Two, four, five, four, two. Yeah, this pattern. <coughs> From this, if there would be many. Okay, if, if they're exactly overlapping lines, we would not see them from this. But somehow think that uh, we have these, uh, uh, if they are transfers, if they would be stock data, right? What is the price of the stock going up or down? You have many more time points, of course, right? Uh, it could be monthly, it could be weekly, daily, uh, millisecond time points, stretched in different ways. Uh, so our task would be somehow to find those groups that have similar shapes. I'm not saying that these are, well, this is artificial data, maybe there is no groups, right? But we would like to somehow find uh, the groups in these data. So especially if there are time series, if, the, if there is some continuous uh, attribute here that there is some relationship from one to the next, then they are not independent, right? Uh, and, and then, even in that, in that case, there will be some questions like how do you treat, do you need different uh, treatment for those attributes that are totally dependent to those that are time dependent or somehow from previous you get to the next. If your value is very high, if it's really time series, then in a small, in a small time frame, you can't change the value too much. So the same data uh, visualized by the heat map, um, visualized by the heat map. Well, this one has two nines. Uh, what, what is this? D. D has two nines. You can visualize the high high values. You can do this heat map kind of visualization. And the heat maps you can condense. Uh, you don't need to show the numbers. Right? Once you understand the concept that the different numbers have different color. And you have no color scale, uh, then you can read uh, the data. So in the clustering, uh, we have 10 objects, five attributes, and the task is to put together these rows in here that are similar, right? To group the rows. So that is our task. And uh, what are the 
try to memorize what, what are the order of slides in here. But one of the main questions immediately is how do you measure the two lines in here, how similar or different they are? So the distance measure concept is, is extremely important. And the distance measure, measure somehow should, should be dependent on the, on the data that you are analyzing. Do you want the values to be exactly matching? Well, in here the values are very different, therefore they are clearly very different. Uh, uh, D and D are clearly very different. But you, if, if these are some time series, uh, then you could uh, say that I don't, in stock, I don't care if the stock costs 10 cents or 10 euros, right? If they move in the same pattern, every value is very different, but they have the same profile, they are highly correlated, you use correlation-based uh, measure to measure the distance or similarity. But in here we visualize uh, not the, in this heat that we visualize the absolute value of the numbers and not the, not this uh, relative change. To visualize the relative change, you, you should fix some starting points, say that this is the 100% line and, and these go up, these go down, then you can do relative. Uh, you have to reformat the data for some relative scale. Okay, uh, in two dimensions, of course you can, and that's how we usually visualize the algorithm, we'll talk about the algorithm, take two dimensions because then you can see intuitively where are the groups and what, how the algorithm would work, right? How the algorithm would work on two dimensions, but you have to be able to generalize that to high dimensional space. So we have the two dimensional data and how do you do uh, the clustering Algorithm. Uh, so clearly we need the concept of uh, similarity or distance. So these are close, therefore they are more likely to be in the same cluster. And our clustering algorithm somehow should identify which things are close in one region, in the other regions, and trying to build these clusters. So similarity distance between objects, and once uh, we have defined this distance concept uh, at the short distance are similar objects, at the long distance there are different objects. And then once you fix one object, you would like to find everything that is close to that. It's like nearest neighbor searches, out of all the data, how do you find similar matches? You have a big relational database, you have one object and you do uh, similarity join. Not by exactly the same values, which that would be trivial, but the SQL database can do on exactly these values, join different things. But you could ask, okay, but we, which are the similar attributes? And, and for similarity, the, the, the distance measures uh, of of course, you play them Manhattan, etc. Then you, you use these absolute values, you capture the difference for every attribute. I'm visualizing it here as a line graph. You have the difference at every time point, you uh, measure the difference, and then you do a different squared over every uh, distances, and then take the square root, so that is the infinite distance. 
Manhattan just adds up all the individual attributes. You go by one direction, the other direction. Uh, since Manhattan, you can't go direct from, from this street corner to that. You can't go direct. You have to go this street and then there. Right? X plus Y difference. So that's why Manhattan is. In the correlation, you don't care about this individual difference from one attribute. That this is a huge difference. This changes a little, this changes a lot, as long as they go in the same direction. Right? All the changes are correlated in the sense that when one goes up, the other goes up, goes down, the other goes down, but the magnitude can vary. Right? They are very similar patterns. Then there are different distances for, for time series. For time series, you could use for voice. You can say words, voice, voice. They are the same, right? But that means that you have to, uh, the sampling time frequency is different. They have different length. And they, you, can, you can measure the similarity between objects that have different number of measured values if they are stretched in time. Or, or, or see pattern, basically the text, any distance, comparing protein sequences or DNA sequences. You can have divisions, insertions, so you can use different distance measures. Rank correlation in here does not care about the original values at all, but it, it says that. For, this, for these three attributes, the first one is the smallest, the, uh, the last one is the next, and third. So one, two, whatever the numbers were, are converted to one, three, two, the rank within that data. And, uh, and in this case, a lot of noise can be eliminated. Uh, in this group, this is the smallest. In that group, that is the smallest. You don't even care what the original values are. And then you just compare the rank orders. So basically, you have to argue what is the intuition, what you want to capture in the data, and what, what is how well the data has been collected, how accurate it is, what type of measure you can, you can put on there. Uh, distance is a metric. If distance from object itself is zero, distance is always positive. Distance is always positive. You can't have negative distances. And follows the triangle inequality. You should know the stuff from all the other courses, right? What the triangle inequality says is that the shortest distance from A to B is a direct distance and not via some other a plus uh, from A to C, C to B must be always longer than direct distance from A to B. Simple, right? What about the C is a minimum? Yeah, but then it's equal. This plus this in your visual right? It can be equal. Uh, think about the distance as measured by price of the airline ticket. 
costs its positive value, you don't get pay, paid for flight unless you're a pilot. So there is a cost to fly its positive value. Direct flight costs or going via Helsinki. Direct flight can be cost more costly than going via one hop. It is a distance, but it doesn't follow the metric uh, property. It doesn't follow this triangle property. Uh, triangle pro uh, and, and one other feature in here, distance from A to B has to be the same as from B to A. So, yeah. Again, intuitive for you, but if you take the road map, one distance you may need to want to take one route, route back to come to the other route, they're different. The same with airline tickets. One way can be totally different price than the other way. Uh, some clustering algorithms demand uh, these, it's hard to say is it demand correct, but somehow they assume, make the assumption that they follow these metric uh, properties. If you have the problem that these distances are different, what you can do is you can of course take the sum of the two and divide by two, take the average. You can, you can change the distances, the uh, definitions yourself. Uh, and, and some distance, measure, uh, distance measures that are positive values for, for distances, they don't, follow, don't need to follow the uh, triangle inequality. But this is the, usually the three properties that are, are somehow assumed. And, uh, and these are the formula uh, with distance. If you don't take the square root, then you immediately have it squared. Uh, Manhattan is just absolute values of the, uh, of the differences. Uh, average. Average has this intuition that the problem is that when you, when you take another attribute and another and another, uh, then the distance tends to grow by just having more attributes. Yeah, like in here, you just keep adding them. Every new attribute, you get the larger distance by definition. And then maybe you want to normalize by the number of dimensions. Just average per one dimension, what is the difference? Um, so these always take into account just this for every coordinate, for every attribute, just take the difference between the two values. Uh, squaring or absolute value ensures that all these values give you positive values, at least, right? Then the correlation measures, uh, you have been, I think you already have calculated some correlations between that. You go through every attribute or every uh, data point. You measure the distance to, from the mean um, every time. And uh, you sum them all up and you normalize this. You, you compare uh, how the values, how, the, how, the, how this fi and gi both above the mean, if they are both positive values, or both below the mean, both negative values, you get positive values in this case, right? The correlation. If one is above, the other is below its average, 
you get negative values in this type. Positively correlated, they are always uh, always uh, both uh, over the mean or both over the, under the mean. So this is a positive correlation. A negative correlation when one goes up, the other goes down. They are opposite direction types. The correlation is from minus one zero to plus one. Right? The normal uh, standard correlation coefficient is of minus one negative correlation, perfect negative correlation, zero correlation to perfect positive correlation. And we want distances that are positive. The perfect positive correlation is when they are highly correlated, that should be the distance zero. So what you do with the distance to get the distance is that you take one minus the value, perfect correlation becomes zero, zero becomes one minus zero is, is zero, oh, sorry, one, and one minus minus one is two. Yeah. So you rescale it so that you have from the correlation that is minus one to one, you have from zero to two. Perfect correlation distance zero, uh, negative correlation is distance two. Uh, in here, this formula has class uh, normalization by the V. Uh, it's possible not to take that into account. So then you just drop the mean part, otherwise exactly the same formula, but you never subtract the mean. Uh, then you, may, maybe you, if your mean is zero already, then the, subtracting the mean does not have an effect, right? So, in this case, uh, sometimes this is actually uh, useful. And in here you see that this is one minus cosinus, cosine of the angle between the two vectors. What this means is that you have one x, y, one data point, the other. So basically we, uh, we ask what is the correlation between, between them and uh, they are both uh, in the positive product, both are positive positive on x and y. Uh, so there, there is a correlation in that sense, but you can measure the vector angle in here. Uh, you can measure the vector angle in here, or you can think that whatever the vectors are, you normalize them to the unit circle. That means you normalize vector length to what unit length, then they are in the unit circle or sphere, and then you do the impedance distance between the endpoints. If they are in the same spot, the distance is zero. If they are in opposite uh, spot, the distance is large. Uh, so th that's why this is called core distance. The formula is basically exactly, uh, looks almost exactly the same, but, but the correlation and the angle here are uh, almost a similar, almost the same thing. <coughs> uh, these types of formula in the, in, the, in the books, when you start looking, there are 40, 50 different distance measures defined. Some of them follow the magic properties, some of them don't. Uh, some may require some pre-normalization, etc. The rank correlation, if this is the data value, this is the smallest value that gets ranked one, 
this is the next that gets ranked two. Now three and four, there is a tie, therefore we take the average of three and four, both are 3.5, 3.5, and this was the largest file. So you convert from any data values to this, only having the ranks one, two, three, four, five, seven. And then, if the other vector has also the same ranks, then they're very similar. Right? Uh, so in here, based on these ranks, you can calculate how similar the two rank vectors are uh, by uh, looking at the differences. One is small, the other is large. There is one is one, the other is five. Therefore, this, these two values would be somehow different. Right? You, you want to have the same ranks in the same position. Okay, uh, given all this uh, background information now, uh, some visual uh, clue, what is on the picture? It is a kind of heat map, right? It's kind of heat map. represented by one RGB color. Every value of the heat map is actually three values, three attributes for red, green, and blue. And it's a photograph where rows have been scrambled randomly. Now what the clustering should somehow do is that from one row to the next, the pixel value should be almost the same. Almost. Not always. So the good clustering method should bring together these rows that have the similar slice through one image. Right. So your clustering algorithm could identify which rows are similar and try to uh, group them. Uh, maybe there are some white borders around. There seems to be some white border on the right. Maybe there are some white borders. That's why you get uh, this thing. And uh, you can uh, use this different algorithm. Uh, so we will be looking hierarchical algorithm and, and k-means. In k-means, you would say that, oh, let's just try to identify 10 clusters, for example. And that's what you get, 10 clusters identified. Just follow, in some random order, follow one to the others. So you can clearly see that uh, this forms a cluster of relatively similar uh, objects, which has a lot of attributes. If this is some 500 pixels wide, this has 1500 attributes in the RGB space. So K means uh, just groups the data. Internally, there is no order, internal order in here. Uh, and between the groups, there is no inherent order between the, between the uh, K groups. You can add order by different adding, thinking about that, but, but this is what, what comes out of this. So what do you see on the picture? And I think in here, just asking, Find me 10 clusters. 
it's just 10 groups in here. Uh, Okay, and uh, now we go again a bit more technical. So, so we will be looking at the hierarchical clustering and this k-means clustering, and I will try to draw on the on the on the blackboard. So, if this is k-means, uh, this is hierarchical clustering. Um, it's uh, not perfect yet, but it. Uh, You, you don't directly see how many different clusters are released, but, but we will see what, what, what the hierarchical clustering actually builds. It actually builds a hierarchy between every uh, object and every cluster. But some of the, some of the, uh, some of these uh, most similar rows have been grouped together in here, right? and uh, you can be more confident that it's. So, apples and oranges. So we are comparing apples and oranges. No, that, that's the goal. We should not be. Objects should be somehow. Um, we would like to identify apples from oranges. If, if they are in the data, then different looking objects should be identified. Okay, the principle of, of hierarchical clustering is that you may have. Uh, Data arbitrarily in the space, in this very high dimensional space, 1500 uh, attributes. And what the hierarchical clustering starts from is basically our goal would be somehow say that, uh, let's, let's do it like this, right? that at least to find all the pairwise distances, calculate all the pairwise distances in order. To identify that these two are the closest to each other, <coughs> you calculate all pairwise distances from n to n minus one, from one object to all the rest, yeah. uh, and the distances are symmetric. Therefore, basically, uh, if you have distance from there to there, you don't need to have distance calculate distance from there to there back because you know that already. Right? So if you would have n objects to n objects, uh, then you would have from one to every other. But basically what we don't care about is, is this uh, upper triangle, because e either this or that, because it's symmetric. If distances are symmetric, then they are equal. And then the other question is about from i to i, this value should be zero. Therefore, you, you don't need that value either. Right? You know that. But if you, look at, if you calculate every pairwise uh, distance, then we can find that these two are most uh, closest to each other. So let's put these together. And then we uh, carry on. We keep finding uh, looking for next distance, maybe this one. Uh, but now we are in the trouble. We have the distances from ob object to object, and it seems to be that this one is close to that, and this one close to that. So now we have to somehow say that this falls together with these two. 
have the distances from point to point and not from point to a cluster. Like a Lego group, a cluster is a one point. Uh, like introduce something in here yeah. in the center of gravity and then calculate it. Uh, that is one way. So we just call the two points a class and that third one is the class. Uh, yeah, so if, if we say that this is a point, then we add this to the class. Yeah. And this one also. And this one also. This one. Yeah. Why not? And this is just based that this one is not yet in this class, but now suddenly. The distance from this to this is small, and we should somehow merge them. Right? So out of the entire cluster, we we know the distances from this to any other object, right? We do know that. We have calculated that. And then we say that we look at the minimum distance in here. Right? Out of all this in the open class, we look at the minimum distance and then we merge. So minimum of this or that, minimum of this or that is one of the original distances that we do not need to recalculate anything, right? And maybe maybe we, we merge these, and then we have this cluster. And for this for this point, the minimum is between minimum of these or minimum of this one of the merged cluster. Actually, it ends up. In the situation that this is a cluster, this is a cluster, and uh, and this is a cluster. What happens? Somehow we may need to say that these or maybe in the same cluster, we, we knew every distance from this cluster to that, from this cluster to that, but now we don't have the, these two clusters, now we have the merged cluster. What is the distance from here to the merged cluster? If we follow this minimum argument, then we knew the minimum, the shortest distance to that cluster, and we knew the shortest distance to that cluster. What is the shortest distance from this cluster to the merged cluster? It is the smaller of the two. Very quick. You merge the cluster, you select which one gave the smallest distance, you can recalculate to every other to every other cluster, you can recalculate the distances. You have this one, and we have maybe from the same point this one. Out of this merger, we know from this cluster the smaller to the merged one is the smaller of the two. And we don't need to recalculate anything. Should you then introduce some threshold that, uh, that again you would have ended up merging everything? Actually, this is the goal that at the end we want to merge it. 
at the end we want to merge everything. And, and what, what comes out is that we somehow think of this as the first merger, the second merger, then we merge them together. Uh, so we build this kind of tree out of that. And that's what is called a dendrogram. And hierarchically we start from the leaves and start building up the pink tree. Uh, so, but there is a uh, there is a problem in this way. <laughs> we may keep adding them together this way, and say if we have a cluster in here, and then we do this cluster. Now, what the heck is this cluster to do? With that cluster up there. If you just follow the minimal, uh, minimal distance, single link between the two clusters, minimal uh, distance clustering or single link clustering, they are synonymous. One single link is enough to emerge the clusters, just take the minimum. Then we may end up in the situation that this one will have very little to do with the objects in there. And you may have the cluster in here and there. Maybe we want this, maybe we don't want that, right? Uh, so the alternative is to say that one extreme alternative, well, two alternatives, two clear alternatives are actually one of them has already been in here uh, that we, uh, maybe that's the third one. For a cluster, let's calculate the new center point and let's calculate the distance again. And then for the new cluster, we calculate the new center and then recalculate the distance. So that introduces every time a new uh, centroid and then look for sort of center of gravity and then we recalculate. In here, we just follow the single link using the minimal distance. Uh, we could as easily say that we don't care the smallest distance, but we want to make sure that our clusters are somehow tight, so let's care about the largest distance. From that to there, and from this to there. And then we can choose the maximum distance. That no two points should be further away than that distance. So in this case, uh, we will at some point actually merge these two clusters rather than going there. So, um, okay, this is the triangle I showed at the, the bottom half, but it can be the upper uh, half. Uh, just the distances, the smallest distances between one and two in this case. So one and two are merged. Uh, then, then we need to recalculate the distances. Uh, so one and two are merged. Uh, then we, from the merged cluster, we recalculate distances. Uh, get a new merge one and two, and then we need to get the new distances, so we update uh, the matrix a little bit. Of course, there are technical details, how can you implement this exactly? Uh, you can do the brute force, you can do more clever tricks in the algorithms in here, uh, but that's how, how we uh, merge the clusters. One to two, then three goes together with those, four and five are merged, and finally everything is put together, 
and this creates this tree. One and two were merged at some distance, and the distance in here is reflected on this axis. So the tree here is low, no? So one and two were merged earlier than four and five. The distance in, in here is larger. And this gives us, in a way, this gives us through all the five data points, this gives us also some kind of ordering in here. So you can reorder the points based on this tetragram. So we started uh, with calculating all pairwise distances, uh, dimensionality is high, then the number of dimensions matters, how long does it take to calculate one distance. And after we have this matrix, uh, we can just uh, use these, the same technique, just look at the minimal distance, at the maximal distance. The centroid thing we don't need to do, we can actually take the averages of the two. If we know the average distance to that cluster, average distance to that one, then you can take the average of the two, right? Then we have the average distance. But there is one problem with us. Can you identify the problem with average distance? Average distance was something where we know all pairwise distances when we keep adding them, we know all of them, we take the average of them. And we know all the pairwise ones there, we take the average. And taking the average of the two is basically as if we knew all the distances and we just average. What is the problem? It depends how do we do that. If we just take the average distance and average distance and add them up, divide by two, what do we get? We get the situation. Let's have. Let's have this situation. Clearly, this is already the cluster, this is already the cluster, and this is already the cluster. And we, we knew the average distance in there, and we knew the average distance in there. If you add them up and divide by 2, what do we get? This small thingy in here would imply that the average distance is actually uh, something very small. On average, if this is 3 and this is, uh, say, 8, uh, I should do easier calculation. If this is 3 and this is uh, 9, then the average would be 6. But this is not what we, what is intuitively here. We have very few that are at distance 3. And we have many that have distance 9. So this one has unproportionately too much weight. And that's why this is called weighted average. I think this is called weighted. <laughs> this has too much weight. Um, uh, so then we are treating the clusters equal, no matter how many points there is. And the other way is to, is to know that in this cluster there is many points, in here there is a few. So take, take, the, uh, take, the, the weighted take the weighted average, but not, uh, for some reason this weighted average uh, method is called the unweighted pairwise group average. 
UPGMA method. I, I, I never figured out why, why that is, but this uh, so one method takes into account how many points is in the in the in the cluster the other does not. Uh, so single link is minimal distance between the two clusters matters. Complete link, uh, the lo lo longest distance matters, and the average linking uh, basically then matters the average of the of the all the distances. Uh, so for hardly two clusters, we have variants. Use the same distance measure, just apply a slightly different way to link the cluster. Uh, apply minimum, maximum, or average of all the pairwise things. And there are UPGMA, uh, WPGMA methods, which actually one takes into account how many points is in the, uh, in the cluster the other does not. So the question is, when we merge two clusters into a new one, then we need from this new one that was not existing before, all the other points or distances or clusters were existing. So we need to recalculate from every other cluster to this new merged cluster. For this cluster, we need to do what is the merged distance after the merger. Right? So for every for every other, if we merge two in here. We have n minus two for all the n minus three remaining ones. We need to calculate distance again to this one new merged cluster. So this one, uh, the formula are already repeating. Uh, yeah, this one takes all the uh, the, the distances as, as is, but takes into account how many is in one versus the sum. So this, this puts the, takes into account that one is smaller than the other, so that the, the average of that smaller cluster matters less in that case. And the other one in here, if this is the case, say a B cluster, this has more elements, the total sum, so what proportion of all the elements has this average distance? And this is called unweighted pair group method average, UPGMA. Uh, so it doesn't put any weight on, somehow it's uh, unweighted in the sense that all the, all, the, all the distances have exactly the same weight. Uh, okay, so these slides just illustrate the same things, uh, I'm over those. And the WPGMA will just take the half of the sum. I think this this basically covers the method in a way in this case from this illustration. Any what was this clear enough? How you can how can you approach taking any object, find the smallest, recalculate distance with them? So for two-dimensional data, of course, uh, you can do this for high-dimensional. You can do this. The pentagram gives you this order of how, how they have emerged. Four and five, well, eight and nine, four and five. Uh, um, so basically, we can we can get the dendrogram, and this dendrogram allows us to reorder the rows in here, and then we can put the heat map 
back again. Uh, the, the data does not need to be numeric. If you have other types of distance measures, you can uh, take the sequences, you can apply some sequence similarity measures. Uh, there are many ways to calculate the edit distance typos in your words, which words are similar. Uh, typos should come out. So you can just plug in any data, and then you can do the heat map. You can do the, we were doing row-wise, the heat map. You can do also, if there are in this data, you can do row-wise, or you can do color-wise, column-wise as well. If we reorder on both dimensions, we can get something like this. Uh, these are some yeast genes in some experiments. In these experiments, these genes are high up in the activity. These are low. In the other experiments, uh, uh, in these experiments, these genes are up, etc. You can interpret this thing more easily. Uh, you can have more data, like in here. Uh, correlation distance average, correlation distance average link clustering. Uh, so you can, uh, I don't remember how many was in here. So you can see some patterns in here. There is a cluster where there is green, red, green, green, red pattern. Uh, the other patterns are slightly similar, but in uh, some time shift. And all these data, most of these data were actually measured through the yeast cell cycle, how the cell divides and grows and divides and grows again uh, to synchronize uh, cell cultures, which genes are active at which stage of the process of the brewing the beer or wine or yeast. The scale of the So this is correlation distance, minimum single link clustering. You can identify the main patterns. Uh, this is the average linkage. So the, if the pattern is there, from one clustering method to the other, you can identify the heat map. And indeed, there are some patterns emerging, right? These behave in one way, and these behave in slightly different way. <coughs> and, and the tree in here, they seem to look ugly somehow because you, there are often these cases where you one by one keep adding new elements. So you, you, you will have these types of, of branches where you just one by one add elements. Average linkage is a little bit more structured looking tree and complete linkage exactly the same data. So that tries to be conservative in this tree. And that means that Visually, if you see that there is some pattern, then basically this node has merged together these rows. So if you click, for example, you get all the objects in this cluster. Uh, these were the programs that I programmed 15 years ago uh, to do this kind of data analysis. It still runs in some of our virtual books. Uh, this is from the uh, from one of the review uh, papers. John Quackenbush was uh, explained what in those days, like uh, 15 uh, uh, years back, 1796, 1997, the, the, these types of data came out for the geese. First time the whole genome uh, 
gene activity was, was measured by microarrays. So that's 19 years old already, right? So these clustering methods were totally new, and there was lots of education to the biologists. What the heck does the clustering mean? And how, how do you do that? All the heat maps that are now in the, in the Excel, so back then it wasn't possible to do. And the same thing in here, comparing different clustering measures, uh, methods, this is single link clustering, uh, average link, complete link, you see different trees, but if the pattern is strong as it is in, in, in the same data, you identify the same strong cluster. That is the idea. These are artificially generated data, just what the heck does it mean to have these different clustering methods? Uh, these are the measurements uh, from around year 2000 or 2001 that I did on my own code. So calculating all distances for 10 attributes and 100 attributes, of course, when you have from the n-dimensional data to the 100-dimensional, you have 10 times longer vectors. You take 10 times longer time, uh, and it's quadratic in time. So this, this grows in time for 20,000 uh, objects. That is 400 million distances divided by 2. 200 million uh, back then, one minute, now the machines are having orders of magnitude faster. Uh, and once you calculate distances, actually, once you have the distance matrix, then clustering itself is the same speed. Once you have that distance, all distance matrix, then you don't recalculate anything, and then you just have the same speed. Uh, so, clustering 20,000 uh, objects with uh, 10 or 100 attributes would take, uh, back then it took, it took 5 10 minutes. Uh, so, now it should be in the time of uh, every three years, computers would be, you know, every one and a half years, they would be two times faster, so three years, four, so 100 times faster computers at least. You can, do, you can do that in reasonable time. Uh, this was the interface back then. You have the inter uh, you can click or you can also cut the tree and then you just get how many trees happen to be at this below this cut point. Or you could say that I want to cut the tree so that there, there remains exactly 17 clusters. That's possible to identify the time at which 17 clusters are left in the bin. Um, and then you can get every gene in there to the line graphs, different interfaces. And uh, how many clusters have been I think there was how many clusters were in the beginning? Many. So you get at the end just one. Uh, then the distances, how they are increasing. Uh, how many non-singletons you create these, and then at the end you merge them all. So basically try to understand how the process was going. And then we also introduced these different uh, uh, well, you can do the color schemes, uh, select the palette, how do you do the heat map from each color to each other color. Uh, so these uh, were possible to design and get different visualizations on the same data, black and white. Uh, all this green, black, red was is considered a little bit bad, but 
that you can have rainbow colors, you can have different color schemes of the same data so that visually to, to see the best. If somebody thinks that the uh, DC maps are new invention, actually it's from 1873. You don't think about these things uh, so often that, that uh, actually world uh, has been thinking about stuff for a long time. Uh, it has 6,000 uh, genes, which was the yeast data size. Still, even on the large monitor, you can fit only uh, some 1,600 pixels or 1,200 pixels vertically back then. And maybe you can fit more, you still can't have the, all the data fitted in. in the, if you have a small laptop screen, then you still need to look at the data. And therefore, these kind of compact measures where you, for example, collapse the tree and show only the number of average, the number of objects in this one row, and the averages of those, you can make the, the more compact versions. Uh, now, visually, each one is a cluster, but they may be larger or smaller clusters. Um, and we, we actually are working also on a way to understand do these clusters have any significant biological meaning from database? So, so trying to not do it just cut by the same line, but somehow try to figure out which clusters are significant by which uh, Measures on biological medicine. Um, okay, so this is uh, the standard method. Standard method is slow. You need all against all distance matrix, I think, here. But what we really want to, when we start, want to start is just find the smallest distance. Why do we calculate all the distances if we only are interested in the smallest one? And it's hard. You, how do you know which ones are the closest to each other? But we can have the triangle inequality to come in our, in our help. If this distance is small and this distance is large, then even without calculating this distance, we know that if this is close to the far away point, itself it has to be far away. If some two stars are far away, we know that they are close to each other, but one of them is far away, the other is also far away. Um, so we know, we can estimate uh, from fewer distances some of the other distances we can estimate. And Bailey uh, uh, School was doing this research in here when, when he was in PhD, actually trying to use this kind of thing, how, how to use that knowledge. If, if we know this distance and that distance, we know that minimum and maximum distances estimates for this one. Just by the distance, that distance it can be any way, we don't know which way, but we know the minimum and maximum distances. We can estimate those. And, uh, we can throw in some pivot points or some fixed points from where every distance has been calculated. If we calculate distances from these to every point, now if they are close to each other, then the distances should be relatively similar 
superconductivity. They may be on this side, they could be also on that side, still they would be, or one on that side, one in that side. The distances are the same. If you choose pivots uh, badly, one is on the other side, the other is on the other side, the distance may be large, but the more pivots we have, the less of these situations we have. So if, if there are more pivots, then uh, we don't have these things which are symmetrically on the other side. So then having all the distances calculating, not, not every pairwise, but only to the small number of pivots, uh, so not for n times n, but only maybe to 20 times n, uh, that makes a huge difference. And then based on those uh, distances, uh, some nearby objects can be identified. So in here, here are the distances that we calculated from this and this, uh, and then for these two pivots and all these points, you can calculate uh, distances. So if the two if the two values happen to be similar, 7.5, 7.4, 3.8, 3.5, that means seven and five should be close to each other. Seven and five actually they Actually, this happens to be the case which, are, uh, which is far away. Uh, so there may be some mistakes. Let me see some other case. Four and five in here. 7.2, 7 7.5, 4.1, 3.8. .1, so these are relatively close. And indeed, four and five are close to each other. So given from the two pivots, uh, these distances, now we may still to identify from all these pairs, which pairs are similar. So we are back to the situation that we have n, n things to compare, find the closest pair within the n, like we have in the beginning. n, and find the closest pair in the n. Uh, so that is kind of the disappointment, but we have calculated something improved, and using some Using some uh, clever tricks to go through this data, uh, epsilon grid order, using some mathematics, so basically Mavis was able to come up with a technique that knowing only a subset of these distances, uh, we can estimate most of the distances pretty, pretty okay. And do the hierarchy clustering uh, pretty okay as well. So that, that was the, the kind of algorithmic speed up. And then you could have the, okay, I have these 100,000 objects, but I have only one minute to spare for calculations. And then you can estimate how much you can calculate in this thing, huh? and how good your hierarchy to clustering will be based on those calculated distances. So you can approximate the hierarchy to clustering. And the goal was to identify those, at least every pair that is close to each other, as much as possible to find the small distances. And then for the bigger picture of this hierarchical tree, to throw in some random distances as well. And then, then we can get somehow the, the better overview. So the happy trust uh, method was done by Mavis. But the principle, underlying principle, is to say, trying to do this hierarchical clustering, but just in this case, using less distances to start with. Uh, okay, 
any questions about the heart of the classroom? Uh, I had to confuse a little bit more. There, there are sometimes methods which we said that we do agglomerative hierarchical to clustering. We start from the three leaves and start to merge them together, agglomerate together larger and larger clusters, right? Until everything is in one cluster. There are some methods which try to do top down, take all the points and divide to two clusters. And then recursively to with one. Yeah. Um, so there are attempts to do these kinds of stuff as well. Um, some, some methods are cheap. Okay, um, the next, so that was hierarchical, every object could be just, you don't know how many classes, you just apply the method and you see what you can uh, get out. If the data has very clear distinct clusters, then almost any method details are in the cases when there, when there, when there are no good clusters. Uh, so what is the method? Goal in here now is to, of course, find the clusters. But what does it mean to have something that is, uh, I, I skipped over, what is representative-based clustering um, to find some representatives? Uh, there are different ways that k metoid or k means. Uh, one is representative, the other is prototype, and I'm not going there. But the method, K implies how many clusters we want to match. If we, if we say that we, if we know that we want to have four clusters, then the representative thing means that there are four representatives from these clusters, and the clusters will follow. So, Let's do the easy case if this is a representative in here, and uh, this is a representative, and this is a representative, and this is a representative. What is the clustering? It says, what, what happens to this point? That point is closest to this one. Anything that is on this side is closer to this than this. Okay. But the same you can do with all the other points. So this and this, between them, there is this line. This and this, between them there is this line. Between this and this, there should be this line there. Maybe we, maybe I just managed to visualize it so that it's not important in here. And from there is this. So given these four representatives, these are the areas of the clusters. So everything that is in this area is one cluster, second, third, fourth cluster. Now the question is, uh, why did they select these points to start with? 
they may not be correct. So, so the method is in here like this. It's, I'm trying to visualize it. I don't know what comes out of that, just random stuff. So just um, Um, so let's do something that is, you didn't shelter me, how did you get this? Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you, I, I get them by random. I get by random, and my random generation is really bad. My random generation is really bad. Uh, I would like to throw in the fourth one. So let's do it even, even worse, right? So what happens now? This idea I can I can apply. So I can draw this line, I can draw this line, this line, this line. So we have this cluster, this cluster, this cluster with three points, and this cluster with two points. Okay? So for four representatives, I have my clustering. But this is not necessarily very good. What the method now does is that, but now we can go through the data again, sort of through, go, uh, go through every cluster, and make sure that the cluster is represented not by something exotic, but by the average representative. So we have this cluster, and let's put the cluster new uh, representative into the um, center of gravity of that cluster. We can calculate every mean of every attribute, and, and the center of gravity there is three points in there. So then the center of gravity would be in here for this cluster. For this cluster, it's going to be actually probably in here. For this one, let it be there, and for this one, let it move. Now I should, now I, should, I don't have the good way to visualize that, but, but then, what next? I have new representatives, so I know the next cycle, I redraw the map. I do it like this, I do it like this, uh, this one, to where was it in here? Changes a little bit. One, two, three, four. I have the new clusters, and this process, as you can see, we, we again start from new representatives, and we can redraw the map again. So we can do just a cycle of this process until it stabilizes. So what's the next step? Uh, this moves even further there. Uh, this one has now these points. I think it moves a little bit there. This one is still in here. 
this one in there. So maybe we need to do the, let's see, roughly this, and uh, this, this, one, two, three, four. Uh, once we have it in here, maybe it stabilizes this side. But the process is you start from some guess and you start iterating. The difference between the k-means and k-methods is that in, in one case we calculate the center of gravity as a new data point. It's not in the data, just we calculate that artificial center of gravity. And in the other case we try to select one of the existing data points that is the most central. The closest city. Now we cluster cities and only, only the cities we will put. We don't put in the, in the, in the swamp the center of gravity. Uh, in a way, it all tries to minimize this thing that uh, the distance from for a point from its uh, uh, cluster center, all this sub will be minimized across all the clusters, uh, cluster point to its uh, uh, central location, uh, take all the distances, it tries to minimize this, uh, find the uh, arguments, find the clusters, so that the distances, overall distances are minimized. Uh, so this is the illustration, three uh, data points, we get three clusters, we recalculate, reshift the cluster centers, and, uh, and this uh, stabilizes it, it, each, finally each cluster center is fixed, and now nothing changes anymore. This process will stabilize uh, maybe 10 rounds, maybe 100 rounds, but it will uh, stabilize if properly programmed, this will stabilize and you will get the clustering. Partition into k subsets, I show in just four uh, clusters, or just said that this is the representative. Uh, uh, well, it, there are, okay, there are different ways. Just k subsets, calculate the centroid, uh, assign every point to this uh, centroid, and go back to basically do the loop as I described it here. And then starting from uh, line graphs that are random points, you get the line graphs that are representative of these four clusters, uh, of the more clusters in here, and each one you can see is a cluster of fairly similar line graphs in this picture. Just K clusters. Uh, K clusters and all the objects in there, so again, in user interface, you can play with this and you can, you can uh, do this kind of cluster. Locally tries to optimize, finds the first local uh, stop. Uh, so it's a local optimization technique, local heuristic. If you have different starting points, you may have different results. So in here we could have had, had we had been a bit more lucky, we would have had exactly four nice clusters. Right? So you can do this a couple of times and select the best out of those. And the best, well, that's a little bit tricky. You can at least calculate these distances to the centers again, because we wanted to minimize that overall, so that's uh, the best that has minimized overall the runs that we have been doing. Uh, so these are, let me see, yeah, this, this also shows these starting points and the, and the clusters, how they emerge, and at the end, how the, uh, where the center points will be, so how they move, I don't remember this, okay. Uh, K is clustering in here, iris data, 
So what the game is pastoring gives you in three dimensions uh, by the pastoring, without knowing the groups, you will be able to recover most of these iris species. Uh, your data can have very strange distributions. So large clusters and three clusters clearly like three clusters, but your k-means can give you different. It doesn't guarantee you these distributions as easy. You can see that uh, the red is much smaller than you would imply, right? So the blue is larger, the green is larger. So in here, you would get the k-means. Uh, the different variants of the k-means go into expectation maximization, and instead of the point to the cluster center, you can ask what is the probability weight over all the different clusters from which the cluster that has appeared. So it's kind of more statistical method, but optimizes the, the somehow similar kind of thing, iteratively goes through the data and fits the models on top of the data. Where these things may be used, this is the image, and this is every pixel shown in red and green level. So the image has lots of yellow, lots of uh, this darkish, uh, greenish colors. So these are all the different uh, pixel colors. And if you want to discretize this image or make it somehow more compact, then instead of showing, telling that all the colors are using lots of space, you would just have the, uh, how, many, how many clusters in here. K uh, clusters, but well basically these are called horror cells that we were drawing in here. You could say that uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 16. So you could say that instead of many different colors, we could just say 16 types of color and try to redraw the image with 16 colors only by these representatives. That allows to compress things. Fewer things, and you can do this kind of, it's called vector quantization. So, so many, many, many times that the similar concepts are having different names from different, depending on the application area. But this is implicitly, K means generates these Voronoi diagrams, and these are your clusters. I'm not going to uh, talk all the strengths. Weakness, the strength is that it's, it's faster and harder. Because we do k centers to n objects. Instead of n to n. So when there is n is really large, then having few centers to n objects is much faster. And every cycle we do that. The mean is something that I said that you can calculate, but if you have categorical data, what is the mean of some, some uh, uh, categories? So you can't really calculate that so easily. K, you need to guess in the beginning. And outliers, they affect, if there would be one outlier from that in here, you would immediately get one cluster somehow in here. Um, and the clusters will have convex space on a diagram, if the cluster has some exotic space, you can't do that with the k-means. And every time, it depends on the initialization, so you can have different ways how to initialize, how to, get, how to do the first guess. 
you can take the sample, you can do hierarchical clustering and say, okay, let's pick from hierarchical clustering 10 clusters, 10 starting points, and use this to feed the k means, for example. So that was k means. And k methods differs mostly by only means that these representatives are not abstract points, but one of the existing data points. That happens to be the closest to the set, so that from that data point, the distances to every other are minimized. The sum of the distances is minimized. So it's a little bit more calculation, because for every object in the, in the cluster, you have to see what is a total sum to every other object in the, in the same cluster. But it's, it's uh, slower. And uh, as you can see, when you have the clusters, then you get these convex shaped Voronoi diagram cells. So these are the, at the end, these clusters that we have discovered. Um, in here, there, there is more different classes as well, so you can combine this with the, with the different types of classes. But basically, uh, this is the intuition that we generate this so-called Voronoi diagram through the data by having these set representative points represent the clusters. Okay, I think, uh, yeah, we will, we will stop in here. I was pretty thorough in the hierarchical clustering. We used a little bit less time in, in K-means, but K-means you can, I think you can practice on the paper as well. And, uh, and next time, when I will be speaking, I don't know if this is next week or week after, I will also uh, cover the self-organizing maps. Also quite fun. Okay. Happy Easter.